Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. On today's episode, we're excited to be joined by Jenny Tolman. Now, Jenny was born and raised in Nashville, one of the few artists that we've had on the podcast who was actually raised in Music City. Her dad worked within the music business, so she had a view of it from the outside. She enjoyed singing as a youngster, but it wasn't until around high school when she started listening to Taylor Swift that the idea of songwriting and a career in music started to take hold. She attended Belmont University for about six months, but realized that wasn't for her, and then she jumped into a musical career. In 2019, she released her debut album, There Goes the Neighborhood, and after not really being able to promote it as well as she wanted to because of 2020, of course, she moved on to her next project in 2021, and that has turned into her sophomore record, Married in a Honky Tonk, which was released earlier this year. So please enjoy our conversation with Jenny Tolman. Before we head into the past, you have so many exciting things happening in the present (laughs) that we have to talk about. So instead of waiting until near the end to talk about those things, let's talk about some of the exciting things happening now. And yesterday, the announcement of a music festival that you have created that you're putting on. Talk about that a bit. Yes. So Cowgirls at the Cowboy is an all-female festival that I have gotten to curate and I'm hosting in Jackson Hole, Wyoming at the Million Dollar Cowboy Bar, October 7th, 8th, and 9th. It's going to be absolutely amazing because the first night we are doing kind of more like a songwriter vibe with um, Ray Lynn, Natalie Hemby, Caitlin Smith, and me. So they're all like absolutely amazing i'm super intimidated to be playing a writers around with them but it'll be it'll be amazing um second night i'm going to have my full band and do a full band set and carter faith is also going to open the show with her full band so i'm excited about that because she's just like taken off like a rocket it's crazy yeah absolutely. and then the final night which is like mind-blowing to me we got Carly Pierce, the ACM and CMA female vocalist of the year. So wow. it is a uh, it's pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah. And so Jackson Hole and especially the Million Dollar Cowboy Bar, those two places are very special to you. It's the cover to your album, the bar, and then that area I believe is where you got engaged and where you got married. And so did it become special for you when you got engaged there or did it mean something to you even before that? I had never been to Jackson until I believe it was October of 2020 because I was supposed to play there in March of 2020 and obviously that got moved back just a little. Yeah. And uh, it was my first time ever going there. I was playing um, kind of like a, a songwriter showcase. It was just me and my then boyfriend, Dave Brainerd, who was also my producer and co-writer, we were just doing this duo show at a place called the Silver Dollar inside of the Wart Hotel, which is this beautiful historic hotel. And um, it was a sold out show. It was amazing. And literally as we were landing into Jackson, if you've ever flown into Jackson Hole, you know what I'm talking about, but you are right next to the Tetons and it's the most beautiful view I have 
ever seen in my life. And as we're looking out the window, I look to Dave and I'm like, I have a feeling that I'm really going to like this place <laughs> and not knowing, having any idea that I was about to get engaged either. And uh, so <laughs> we hung out a few days before the show and explored a little bit, toured around a place called Jenny Lake, which is so stunning. And when I had been planning what we were going to do, I told Dave about this beautiful place called Jenny Lake that I wanted to hike around. And in his mind, he was like, oh my gosh, that's the place. And so that's where we got engaged the day before our show. Um, and obviously that was one of the best days of my life. And just the setting, it had freshly snowed that day and it was just beautiful. I mean, I can't even put into words how amazing it was. And uh, if you look at the pictures, they don't look real. So that obviously created an even more, you know, special reason to be there. But right. the next day we had our show sold out show. The community there is just so supportive and so like loving and welcoming. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's unlike any other place I've ever been to. And so I just immediately was like hooked and obsessed. And I was like, I love this place. We ended up going back like every three months I got to play um, the Million Dollar Cowboy Bar, which is kind of their famous venue in town. And it's super historic, really, really cool. Um, played that with Midland and Runaway June for their Million Dollar Music Fest is what it's called. Right. And after that, um, I was presented with the opportunity to put together my own festival <laughs> at the Million Dollar Cowboy Bar. So it's just been absolutely crazy oh and then i also got married there yes i got married in jackson hole so there's a lot going on there that uh yes i shot my album cover there i shot my music video at the music at the million dollar cowboy bar for married in a honky tonk so yeah lots of lots going on in jackson hole for me that is amazing and just over the last few months i mean getting married releasing your album and then also revealing that you are pregnant and yes. expecting. Talk about that and not just, you know, what it's like to be expecting, but also what it's like to be able to share something like that with the world and something so personal. Yes. I mean, at first, I'll be honest, I was a little bit scared to, to share with everyone because I mean, it happened really fast. We got a little honeymoon baby. So <laughs> when I found out, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what are people going to think? Like all of those fears kind of come into your mind. And especially yeah. being a female in the industry, I feel like the mentality has shifted a ton, which I'm super grateful for. But I think some of those leftover, like fears always hit you like, oh no, are people going to think that I'm like done, that my career is over because I got to stay home and take care of the baby now. Um, but you know, my husband, Dave, he was so excited from the moment that we found out and just so, you know, never had any fear, any doubt that I couldn't do this, you know, that I couldn't do it all. And so his support really, I mean, meant the world to me, my mom's support, my family's support, my friends, I mean, my team, my publicity team, what I told them, everybody around me. Um, before we announced it to the world, never had anything negative to say. And so that really gave me the confidence to be like, okay, I think I'm just freaking myself out because, <laughs> which I was because we just announced it a week ago today, which is mind blowing. That's already been a week. Yeah. And the response has been, I mean, just so, so amazing. I can't even believe 
how many people are, you know, so excited for us and love this little baby already. It, it makes me feel so grateful. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, so many amazing things happening now, but let's talk about this musical journey that has brought you to where you are. Now you're from Nashville. You're one of the rare artists that I have talked to who are from Nashville. I think Connor Smith, maybe he wasn't born there, but he moved there when he was young. I think he's one of the only ones I've talked to who has actually grown up in Nashville. And so for you growing up in Nashville, when you had this dream, when this dream began, did you have expectations of what was going to happen within a career because you had sort of grown up around it? And were those expectations a little maybe in the clouds because you were maybe expecting, oh, I'm from Nashville. This might be easier than it yeah. is for most. Yeah. You know, I think, well, growing up, I never really realized how special Nashville was or how, you know, unique and different. Um, I didn't, I knew we were music city and my dad works in the music industry. And so I grew up around the music industry and seeing everything. Um, but it wasn't until I kind of grew up a little bit more and entered into my teenage years that I was like, oh, wait, people think that it's cool that I'm from Nashville. Like, oh, okay. what, what's that about? And, and, you know, really my own interest in getting into the music industry um, and realizing, you know, it's not just, oh, you're a singer. And then there you are, <laughs> you know, and, and also I, sometimes I get a little bit, um, not jealous, but but there's this, this thing that I appreciate about people that do move here from their hometowns, you know, to pursue this dream because they have this drive and this like fearlessness. And, you know, I don't know if I could have moved away from my family to do what I do. You know, I never had right. to make that option. And so I've always had a little bit more of a comfort blanket than, than a lot of artists who move here do. And, and so after a few years, I started noticing that. And I was like, wait a second, I need to like, I need to put a little bit more oomph in, in what I'm doing because everybody else is like, you know, hustling so hard and I was just being comfortable. Right. And so it definitely uh, took a little bit of a mindset shift to, to be like, okay, these people are coming to my hometown <laughs> and taking over. Like I need to make it, make sure that they know this is my hometown and I'm not going to just sit back and expect things. So right, yeah, definitely yeah. have to, you, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> being right. from here. Yeah. And now we do have to talk about your dad. He is the reason you were born in Nashville and his story is like incredible. It's awesome. So I'll just set it up here. I hope I have all this information right. So he was discovered by Burt Reynolds. And I think Dolly Parton, you mentioned after he performed in the Music Man at the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater. And Burt Reynolds connected him with, with two or three other singers and they created the Indian River Boys band. And so what did his career look like? Was he still in that band when you were born or had he moved on to more the business side of music when you came around? Yeah. So when I was born, he was already on the business side. Okay. Um, he made the decision to leave the artist side and enter the business side when my 
older sister was born and uh, they had gone through a few different lead singers, you know, being in a, a vocal group's not the easiest thing. You can ask any band, you know? Um, and so they, they got to do some really, really cool stuff while he was uh, on the artist side of things. You know, they sang on Garth Brooks's No Fences album and, and just, you know, had a really great run. Um, but he decided, he was like, you know, I just want to settle down a little bit, have a little bit more stable of a life. And now that my, my daughter's born. And so, yeah, when I came around, he was already in the business. And so, but I knew him as being this artist, you know, I knew that he was, I knew he was a singer and, um, and really, you know, something that I think inspired a lot of what I do in my music now with like characters and storytelling he loved show tunes, you know, he was, he was discovered while he was in a musical. And so that was kind of his, his thing. He loved, he would play show tunes all around the house. He would wake me and my friends up by singing, Oh, what a beautiful morning. And, you know, it's, and so having that just, I guess, implemented in my psyche as I was growing up of like these characters and these stories and, and not just, you know, love songs or pop songs and stuff like that, you know, hearing all these different types and then also growing up in Nashville and hearing storytelling in that music um, and the country music that was coming out of this town. And and so that definitely uh, inspired a lot that I do now. (laughs) And so with what he went through in the industry, what was his thought when you began this journey and you knew that you (laughs) wanted to be a musician? He said, are you sure? (laughs) And and I used to think, gosh, that's so rude to say that. But now that I'm pregnant, the thought of <laughs> the thought of my child coming to me and saying that they want to be an artist, I'm like, whew, okay, all right. You know, I would never discourage it. And he never discouraged me either. Um, but just kind of gave me that, all right, you know, you don't, I don't think you know what you're getting into, but let's do it. You know, so I I've been very blessed to have both of my parents be so supportive of my decision and, you know, just believe in what I'm doing. And I've never felt like, you know, they were ashamed of me for not being a doctor or a lawyer, you know, right? <laughs> oh, this is our musician daughter. No, they're, they're super proud. And yeah, I'm lucky. Right. And in 2016, I believe it was, you released Elizabeth, a song that you wrote in honor of your grandparents. And I wanted to ask about them and your journey with them and how they have inspired this journey for you. Yeah. So that song, um, Elizabeth was my dad's mom. So my grandmother, and, uh, I also mentioned my grandfather in that song as well. And my grandfather, we called him Papa and he, uh, they're from Boston and he was very musical. He played drums in the infantry. And, oh, wow. Yes. And he had his own big band. It was called Will Tolman and the band that plays to please. Oh, <laughs> and nice. he, he owned a dance hall in uh, Acton, Massachusetts, and would host dances there. That's actually where him and my grandma met. Oh, wow. And uh, his big band would play. And so he, he was he was pretty badass. I loved him. Uh, so, so I'm, I miss him a lot. I miss both of them a lot and wish that he was there to, to see everything that's going on. But I know he's, I know he's looking down, but yeah, he definitely inspired a lot. He had an amazing like vibraphone also that he left to me. And what um, is so that? I got to figure out how to play it. It's, it's basically like a giant xylophone. Have you, have you seen just those huge, 
um, and they've got the pedals down, but you play it with the mallets and oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he would, he would play that and had a piano and, you know, would just play really cool, unique stuff. Like it wasn't, you know, like who has a vibraphone? Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely uh, came from a very uniquely musical family in that way. <laughs> that is amazing. And then within your musical ambitions I saw you talk about your first solo during school mass in fourth grade and the memory of that and then uh Father Breen or, or Father Bren I'm not sure how you say yeah, it Breen. just the reaction he had to you singing and how that sort of inspired this and inspired you to think that maybe you could sing better yeah. than most yeah I I had a really great childhood of really encouraging characters. Um, you know, even in, I believe it was kindergarten was my very first time ever like singing in front of people. We were doing chicken little as kindergartners. Oh, okay. And, and I got the part of chicken little and, um, my teacher came up to me, my music teacher, and she was like, Jenny, do you take vocal lessons and I was like no <laughs> she was like oh well you're a very good singer and, and that was the first time it ever like occurred to me I was like oh can I I can sing I guess I can I'm chicken little and, nice. <laughs> and I had one of my friends she was she tried to I think she was just jealous she goes chicken little's a boy <laughs> and I was like I don't care I got the solo yeah nice <laughs> but, but yeah I mean just you know music teachers and father Breen like you said my priest growing up because I went to a Catholic school. And so he was always around walking down the hallways and he had a beautiful voice as well. And he would sing show tunes and Frank Sinatra. And he was just the coolest guy. Like he, it, he's not what you would think of when you think of a priest. And, um, and so when I had that first solo in mass in fourth grade and, and he brought me that music note necklace to my classroom after I was done and I just remember feeling like I was the coolest kid ever because Father Breen was there to give me something. And, uh, but, you know, also kind of instilling that like you have a gift you and we want to encourage this and nobody ever was like, oh, well, you need to do something else. So, yeah, you can sing here in church, but we need to study something else. Right. Um, and I was also really lucky with teachers through like fifth to seventh grade, I started writing stories and uh, they would be so encouraging about that. I got to do every Friday was like Jenny's story time. I would get to stand up in front of the class and read the stories that I had written that week. And, oh, wow. You know, so it's just, I look back and I'm like, how lucky was I to have such encouraging people, you know, around me that never made me feel like being creative or musical was just like a hobby or a pastime. It was something to really you know, engage in and, and put your all into. Back at that time and in that period, what was songwriting? Like you say, was it more just sort of story writing and turning it into a song or were you actually thinking about songwriting at that time? You know, I don't think that I really understood what songwriting was until um, I had, and honestly, I probably owe a lot to Taylor Swift because she <laughs> she was kind of the one that gave me this light bulb moment of, you know, I love singing. I love playing music. I, I play piano since I was three. Um, I love writing stories. And then I 
got a guitar for my 16th birthday and Taylor Swift was like blowing up mega in the country world. And, and I remember being like, wait a second, I can do that. If I put everything that I love to do together, it's like, it's like that songwriting. And, and so that was kind of the like epiphany moment of, oh, okay. Um, but I definitely tried, I think, to, to write a couple songs before that, that nobody should ever hear in, <laughs> in their life. Um, but yeah, I feel like that was kind of the, the moment of like, oh, okay, this is what I meant to do. Because I had heard, like, I specifically remember when I was six or seven hearing We Danced on the radio by Brad Paisley. And I was on the way home from dance class. My mom was driving and, and I looked at her and I was like, mom, I love country music because it tells stories. But even then I didn't really think about, oh, who was writing those stories or, or who made that? It was right. just kind of like it existed. Um, so, yeah, once, once I <laughs> probably it was Taylor Swift, honestly, the biggest one that I was like, wait that's how you do that. <laughs> and now with songwriting, I believe that you were accepted into Belmont in their songwriting program. Yes. I saw you post the acceptance letter, but then I never saw anything after that. So did you actually go? You did some good all? digging. <laughs> I am impressed. Um, yes. Yeah, so I went to Belmont for about six weeks <laughs> and then realized that it was not where I belonged. Um, okay nothing against the school whatsoever. It was just me personally. I think once I started sitting in a classroom again, after graduating high school, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I shouldn't like, I don't need to be here. I would be in math class because you have to go through like all of your general classes before you get to the fun ones in a right. couple of years. Yeah. And I was like, do I sit here and, you know, quote unquote, waste two years while I'm waiting to get to these songwriting classes, which really looking back, I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> How do you get a degree in songwriting? That doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was kind of just this, you know, I feel like if this is really what I want to do, then I need to be actually doing it and not sitting in a classroom. And so, um, but I mean, I have tons of friends who graduated Belmont and are doing amazing things. So it's nothing at all against against going to school or Belmont or anything. It just personally for me, I was being driven crazy by sitting in a classroom. I would get horrible anxiety and would have to leave. It would just like, oh, wow. I just wasn't, wasn't cut out for school. <laughs> and so like, where did you go after, after those six weeks, did you have an idea of what a musical career looked like? Had you learned from your dad sort of the business side and what the steps were going to be or how were you going into that first stage of your career? You know, I was kind of going in a little bit blind. Um, my dad does have a lot of, you know, um, wisdom when it comes to certain things, but things have changed so much since he was an artist, right? You know, we have social media now, which is kind of like king of everything. And yeah. that did not exist <laughs> when he was an artist. And so it's, it's kind of a whole different world. And um, so really the first person that, you know, kind of took me under their wing was Judy Rodman. And she was the female vocalist of the year for the ACMs. And I think 19, 85. Oh, wow. But uh, she lived not too far from my parents and she was a vocal coach now. And so um, I actually still go to her for vocal coaching and, 
And so that was kind of the first thing my parents were like, well, maybe we should send you here to, you know, get, get you just more prepared. And, um, and so I took some songs to her that I had written and she ended up calling my dad after my first lesson and was like, Steve, there's nothing that I can do with these songs. They're ready to be recorded and pitched for placement. And, and my dad was like, whoa, 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 slow down. And she's 16. Like, <laughs> right. And, um, you know, so that was to me, I was like, no, like, let's go. Yeah. But I still had so much to learn. And, um, but Judy at the time she was producing, um, producing a lot of acts. And so we actually went into the studio together and recorded a few of my songs. And that was my first time, you know, getting to record my own music, which was really cool. And, and hearing, you know, legendary Nashville musicians play on my music, which blew my mind. Um, and so she really kind of, you know, gave me my first steps and here's what we need to do. I have this little EP project now and started a Facebook page with my mom <laughs> running it and, you know, just really dug in from there and have grown that following organically for the past, you know, I guess it's been 10 years now, which is crazy. Yeah. Just about, <laughs> I saw you unboxing that EP, I believe. I think it was around 2014. Now, does that EP still exist anywhere? Are there still copies around that you I know of? I think you can still hear it on Pandora. Okay. I think Pandora plays a couple of things every now and then, but you know, me, <laughs> me as a songwriter, when I listen to them now, I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> oh no. There are people that are like, I love this. And, and, and my parent and my mom's like, I love this song. I'm like, yeah, well, you're my mom. That doesn't count. <laughs> so me, I'm like, Ooh, you know, it's, it's really sweet as my first project. And, and I mean, the, the musicianship on it's amazing. And um, it's just, it's definitely a, it shows, it shows growth to me. Well, it feels like every artist needs that. It, I feel like every artist needs that one or two projects that get lost in time because it's a it's a way to help you grow right exactly yeah yeah that makes me feel better thank you <laughs> absolutely that's awesome and so with that EP I saw that you got some radio play and exposure over in Ireland mm -hmm. was it that your music sort of started to catch on over there what did that mean at that age to have your music out and, and have this radio station over in another country playing your music. Oh, I thought I was like the coolest thing ever. I was like, well, I should go over to Ireland and start touring, <laughs> but, which I haven't, um, I haven't even gotten to go to Ireland yet. I'm hoping that I will get to soon. Um, cause I do have quite a bit of fans in Ireland and, and the UK in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, as it's funny, the things that as you progress in your career, you start to normalize so many things. Um, Cause I look back on that and I remember just how excited I was and how it was just like the coolest thing in the world. And, and, you know, there's so many markers of that along the way. Like I remember the first time I was mentioned in Rolling Stone and, and all these things that, you know, you get there and you're like, okay, I've accomplished that. And now I need to go on to this and now I need to do this. And so you look back at those things and you're like, Oh yeah, I guess that, I guess that was really cool because you just kind of like, okay, now what's next? You yeah, know, we, exactly. we, we can't just, you know, 
land on this and, and celebrate this the rest of forever. But it is, you know, very important to look back at all of your steps and be so grateful for, for each one of them because it has led you to where you are and where you're going to continue going. Well, exactly. And that's what I was going to ask you about because around like 2019, 2018, you began to be spotlighted as an artist to watch by many publications. And I started to write them down to sort of list them off. But then I got to 2020 and the list was just too long. There was too many to actually list off. So what do those mean when you're seen as a top five, top 10 artist to watch in a certain year by a certain publication? You know, do you have to make sure you're celebrating those and it's not just another notch in your belt as you go along your career? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's always important to, to celebrate those and, and have that gratitude for everything. Cause I mean, nothing, I mean, they don't have to say that about you, <laughs> you know? So, and, and just to, it also is a nice reinforcement that you're like, Oh, okay. I am doing the right thing. I'm not crazy. <laughs> like there are people that like me, that like my music, that, that listen to it. Because sometimes, I mean, I think so many artists just get inside of our own heads and we're like, does anybody even listen to this? Is this just like, are these just like robots on the internet? I don't even know who. And then you play shows and the, the fans show up and they're excited and they know the words and you're like, oh, okay, this is real. I'm not crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a balancing act because you don't ever want to, one of the things that Papa used to say all the time was don't believe your own press. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you never want to get too big for your britches and, and be like, oh yeah, look at all this. Look at me. Look at, look at all these accolades. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it also is important to be grateful for them and acknowledge them and kind of internalize that and be like, okay, keep going. <laughs> That's awesome. And now Dave, your husband, your journey with him. He is an accomplished songwriter, producer, musician, and you guys met many years ago in the work environment and your relationship has progressed from there. Just talk about the early times when you first connected with him and just what that relationship meant for you off the start. Yeah. So I met Dave, gosh, it was probably... 2017 or 2016. I don't, I don't know. No. <laughs> but I think 2016 at the dog house, which is a bar on Demumbrian in Nashville. And I was 19. I wasn't even old enough to get in. Okay. <laughs> I was just playing a songwriter round. And uh, so he happened to be there because his old recording studio was above there. Okay. And so he came downstairs and was having a drink with the artist that he was producing and and heard me sing and after my set he came up to me and was like hey I'm a huge fan of your voice I love what you're doing I'd love to get together and you know see if I can help out in any way and and at first I was like oh okay yeah thanks <laughs> not knowing who he was and, and you know he was like well I'm a producer in town and I was like oh yeah great <laughs> and he is not the type of person to drop names at all so it took him a while to be like well do you know um Brandy Clark or Jared Neiman and I was like I love Brandy Clark because <laughs> he had just gotten back from the Grammys for the 12 stories album that he had produced right and um and when he said that I was like I love her <laughs> he's like oh well, I produced that album and I was like oh hi <laughs> <laughs> 
but there was like nothing romantic between us at all. It was purely like um, business and, you know, writing together. And so, cause we actually met for coffee a couple days later and my parents came too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was not romantic at all from the beginning, <laughs> but you know, the first time we ever wrote together, um, we both say is one of the best songs we've ever been a part of. And so after that writing session, we were like, okay, wow, I think there's something here. We definitely need to keep writing. And so we were writing, I think once every week, basically. And, um, and just throughout that time, I started realizing, I was like, oh no, oh no, I think I like this guy. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And just kind of grew. And, um, and he was such an encouragement and, you know, um, gave me so much confidence that I had never had before as an artist, because he was just so, you know, so blown away by my instrument, just my voice. And I had always been a little bit insecure of my voice because I'm not the type of singer that's like going to go win American Idol or The Voice because I don't, I don't sing like Carrie Underwood. I don't do those huge belting high notes. Um, I'm much more of a storyteller and a communicator. And you know, I, I like to say I'm a lot more like Emmy Lou <laughs> than Carrie Underwood. And, um, but he was so encouraging of that and never once, you know, made that out to be a bad thing at all. He was like, no, it's such a blessing that you have that type of voice because not everybody can communicate like that. You know, there's people that can only do the belting and, and they don't have any emotion in, in them. Like you have this emotion. And so it was, you know, he just instilled this confidence in me that, I had never really had for myself before. Um, and so just kind of as a mentor, I looked up to him so much and, and respected him so much. Um, and he really started opening a lot of doors, connecting me with different writers, um, bringing in these amazing musicians to record our stuff that we were writing. And um, yeah, so eventually when it all came out that we were in love we were both like oh no this wasn't supposed to happen but here we are and you know it's just been an amazing blessing ever since I get to do what I love with the person that I love and make amazing music together I mean you can't really ask for more than that yeah and was there ever a worry when you began to have those feelings that one relationship could hurt the other. Like if you fell in love, then maybe you wouldn't work so well in the studio or if you worked well in the studio, maybe you couldn't be in love. Yeah. You know, I don't think I ever had that fear. Um, I know my dad did. And I know, (laughs) I know that Dave did um, a little bit, you know, I think when he was trying to fight his feelings and we hadn't expressed anything to each other. um, But really once it was, once we expressed how we felt to each other, I never had any type of fear and neither did he. It was just kind of, I don't know, it sounds so cheesy, but it's that whole thing of when you know, you know, and and there was never any doubt to me, you know, that, that this was going to be bad, you know, and you can logically think like, oh, wait, this might not be the smartest thing, but we're in the music industry. We don't make the smartest choices to begin with. That's right. <laughs> so, so far, so good. <laughs> that is awesome. And within this career, 
you've had the chance to play iconic venues in Nashville, of course. And I was going to ask, being from Nashville, do they feel iconic to you when you're playing them because you grew up around them? Or did that sort of normalize them for you? You know, I feel like the first time I played third in Lindsley, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. This is crazy <laughs> playing here. Because that's a place that I grew up going to. And um, one of my friend's dads was a drummer or is a drummer and his band used to play there a lot. And so we would go with his family to see them at third and Lindsley. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever that I knew the drummer. Right. And uh, he actually ended up playing drums for me for a little bit and, uh, and played this show with me. And, and I just remember like, Oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. I used to come see him play at third and Lindsley. And now he's playing for me at third and Lindsley. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think one of those still that I am, am so excited to eventually get to is the Grand Ole Opry. That is one that is like the legend of all legends and icon of all icons, Yeah, you know, because that's one that I really grew up going to so much. Um, my dad manages a comedian named Dick Hardwick who played the Opry a ton. And so I would get to go backstage and hang out and, you know, meet everybody became good friends with Jeannie Seely that yeah uh, and still you know get to go there every so often with friends that are playing or or whatever it may be and it's just such a special place and and I'm like yeah that one I've got my eye on <laughs> definitely that's amazing now within your music I wanted to talk about my welcome mat because that was a song in 2019 that produced some really cool experiences for you one is you ended up on the What Would Dolly Do playlist. And then also Jeff Bridges, he took that song and sort of carried it along. He first performed it at uh, the Lebowski Fest, and then he performed it on Willie Nelson's live show in 2020 during the pandemic. And then I saw he also recorded a version of it. And so that song for you, what does that mean for you even now, what that song was able to do? Yeah. Well, that one's huge for me as a songwriter, because that's my first song that I've ever had cut by another artist. You know, I'm I'm so used to just I'm the only one that records the songs that I write. So right. to have somebody I mean, as you know, iconic as Jeff Bridges <laughs> sing my song, that that was a really cool moment. And then to have it, you know, recognized by Dolly for her personal handpicked playlist that was amazing I woke up and saw that and like jumped up and down on the bed and was freaking out and you know getting to go to LA for the first time I had never even been to LA and um, Jeff playing was what you know took me out there and I got to see him perform the song live and I just I was shaking and I screamed when he started and I like hit the lady next to me I was like we wrote this because Dave was with me and um and I think she thought I was completely insane. <laughs> she, right, yeah. but, but that was an amazing feeling, um, you know, and so just and then hearing the recording of it, which Michael McDonald, another icon, is singing harmonies on it. And you're just like, what is life? This is wow. so crazy. So, yeah, it's a it's a really special one to me as a songwriter. Right. And so following that, we had your debut album, There Goes the Neighborhood in 2019. And then, of course, everything went to crap and shut down. And for musicians, especially nothing was happening. 
And so during that time, is that when your newest album, Married in a Honky Tonk, began to take shape? Or did you have to sort of gain your footing in 2020 and sort of pick yourself up as an artist almost and make yourself realize that, you know, I can't just sit here and do nothing. I have to do something. And so start working on a project or how did it all come about? Yeah. So when 2020 happened, um, I was like, I mean, like you said, I, <laughs> there were too many ones to watch lists right out and and I had just put out this album and it was going great and I had all this amazing touring and then all of a sudden and like getting all the momentum that you have worked so hard for for the past like four years four to five years that I've been you know just building and and being so patient and being methodical about everything and right um so yeah it was it was really (laughs) really depressing at the very beginning um you know because it was so confusing I mean it was confusing for all of us because I was like is this going to be over soon like what like what's happening it just kept getting extended and you know you think like oh okay just a couple more weeks and then it's like nope three more months and then (laughs) yeah exactly and you're just like what like what's happening and um so really I you know, for a while I thought, oh, well, I like, this will be over soon and I'll keep promoting There Goes the Neighborhood. And, um, and as time went on, I started realizing like, oh, okay. I don't think this is going to be over anytime soon. And so I was like, okay, well, what can I do right now to, you know, market it as best as I can without being able to go on the road? Um, cause really touring is the number one way to market yourself right now. Um, yeah. Cause there's nothing that connects more than live music and interacting with people and meeting them after the show. And, you know, that's always how I built my real fan base. And, um, so came up with the idea to do, um, and, an extended version of there goes a the neighborhood where we, a deluxe version where we added three new songs to it. Um, one was Tabitha, which is actually one of the very first songs that I ever wrote that really started my Facebook page, which is funny, Oh wow! but that's where, um, you know, so many of my fans from Facebook came through a video that I posted of the song called Tabitha. And so people have always asked me to put that song out. So I was like, all right, well, this feels like the right time that I can do this. So it was Tabitha. And then I also had a duet with Jeannie Seely called Who Will Be Your Fool. And uh, that was absolutely incredible to get to do that with her. I mean, she is like, she's the most encouraging female badass artist that I've ever met in my life. Like, she's just so excited, like genuinely happy for everybody. And, you know, is always there. She's like, you just call me if you need anything, if you want to talk. And like, she has the craziest stories. She's, I love her if you can't tell. So that was awesome. Um, and then I did a cover song of still going to die, which is a shell Silverstein song that Mel Tillis, Bobby bear, um, Waylon Jennings and Jerry Reed. They all formed this super group called the old dogs. 
for this one album of Shel Silverstein songs. And they were all about like getting old and old men and dying. And there's this one song called still going to die that I just love. And I close every one of my songs, every one of my shows with that song. Okay. So I was like, well, we have to do a version of that. So, so we uh, had that one out and, and just kind of released that and, and did the best we could to, you know, keep promoting this album and, surely we're about to open back up right no (laughs) so so i think once like mid 2021 came around we're like okay i think it's time to start (laughs) thinking about moving on from this and you know not beating a dead horse anymore and even though it's so hard to work so hard on something and not get to really follow through on the delivery of what it should have been absolutely Um, but that's kind of when, okay, I think it's time to start working on another album and, and getting things rolling again. Cause you started seeing the glimmer of, of hope of reopening and of touring coming back. So yeah, right, that yeah. was, that was kind of where it all ended up. And so how did the songs take shape for this newest album? Because there is some songs like afraid you wrote six and a half years ago that is on this album. And so where did the song sort of come from? Are they from the last like six and a half, seven years? Or is that one from the past and then the rest were sort of put together within the last year or year and a half? Yeah, it's a combination of, um, you know, Afraid I wrote when I realized I was in love with Dave. (laughs) And um, actually the oldest song on the album is Same Train As You, which is the second song that Dave and I ever wrote together. And so that was well before we were together. Right. Um, But I love looking back at it and seeing how it foreshadowed (laughs) what what was to come. And um, so we have songs that are old like that. And then songs that, you know, I've had for the past couple years in my catalog and, and knowing that I would want to put them on my next album. And then songs like Married in a Honky Tonk was the very last song that I wrote that made the album and so I you know I didn't even have this intention to have an album called Married in a Honky Tonk it was just when I wrote that song and and I was like wait a second that'd be a really cool album title and you know at that point I was engaged and I was like wait and it and it kind of lines up really cool with how I'm actually getting married in real life and so it was kind of like this beautiful accidental perfection of real life and storytelling songwriting and you know getting to put everything all together (laughs) and the album weaves together with like the tongue-in-cheek fun fun songs but then you have the personal songs like afraid that sort of dive a little deeper and so when you were putting together this album and weaving those songs together were you very focused on the story it would tell and ensuring that it did flow and it wasn't just random songs put together for an album? Yeah, I'm always trying to be as intentional as I can with um, the order of the songs, with, you know, the the total message of the entire album, um, you know, because there's songs that I still have in my catalog that I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I, I wish I could put this one out, but it just does, it, it didn't fit the narrative of this particular album and so it's right. it's waiting its turn um so yeah I always try to be very intentional about that and as an independent artist I saw one of your posts 
after I think it was either during the release or after the release that you were like matching your blinks to a sound effect to try and match the algorithm that's out yeah. there. And so within being an, an independent artist these days, and like you say, social media, other than getting out there and doing shows is sort of the number one way to promote yourself. So what is life like in trying to balance all those things? Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, some days social media, I just wish I could delete it all and not even ever look at it again. Um, but it is, it's like, it's one of those blessing and curses. Um, it, it's really cool how much you can reach people, um, and how, you know, just creative and innovative you can get with your posts and literally do whatever you want to promote your music. Uh, that part's really cool, but then also just the saturation <laughs> of the internet and of social media in general, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many other people that are singing to their cameras like how am I going to get through and, and um and then just you know the algorithms where you're like this is literally a robot that's just choosing what to put in front of us and you know not having a soul or caring about what the actual message behind anything is it's just what is getting views or what's going to sell and so you know there's there's definitely a very strong love-hate relationship that I have where some days I just want to pull my hair out because I'm like, am I an artist or am I a social media marketer? Like, yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's definitely a lot of work. It's not, it's not easy. <laughs> Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Jenny for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out her newest album, Married in a Honky Tonk, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out us wherever you stream your music. We're available on all streaming platforms. So just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me, and give us a follow and maybe even leave us a review if you enjoyed today's episode. You can also check out our website at countrymusicmademe.com. You can head over there and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests as well as receive exclusive content. Just head to countrymusicmademe.com and hit the subscribe button. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.